Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. We're gonna be studying Hebrews chapter 13. If you're new with us, uh, I've noticed a couple people that have joined from various states. I understand that uh, uh, one of my good friends back in May, he is now pastoring at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, and they were unable to do a live feed of their sermon today, and so he's encouraged his church members to log on uh, to us and to listen. So if you're from Pleasant Grove Baptist Church down there between uh, May and Lake Brownwood, uh, welcome uh, to, to our service, and I pray that God bless you through it. But we have been working through the book of Hebrews for really about a year and a half. We did, the Hebrews is divided into three main sections. Really, it splits in the middle of chapter four. Uh, then the second section goes from chapter four to the middle of chapter 10. Uh, we took a break after that, did some revival preaching, and uh, then after Christmas, we rejoined our Hebrew study in Hebrews chapter 10. And we are in the final section of our study on Hebrews. And this section is the more practical section of Hebrews. And God in his mercy and in his providence has led us today to be right here at Hebrews chapter 13, verses one through six. My theme for this passage is gonna focus around especially verse five and six. I believe that that kind of gives us an overall picture of this, uh, of the passage. And I, I would title the message today, Trust the Lord and Fear Not. What an incredible place for us to be as we face the fear that has spread throughout our country and this coronavirus. I, those of you that know me learn, I, I, I was going to try to keep that on, you know, because I'm on the screen. I can't do it. Uh, we're just gonna, I'm just going to preach the way I always do. This passage, uh, begins with really about five imperatives, five commands that God gives us. And then he kind of sums that up when you get down to verse five and verse six by saying, because he has promised that he'll never leave us and forsake us, the Lord is our helper and we should not fear. And so he, he gives us some commands. And so I believe that those commands uh, fall within the bracket or this idea that because God is who he is, because he has done for us what he has told us he's done for us, all through Hebrews chapter one, through Hebrews chapter 12 up to this point, uh, we can have faith and confidence in him. In fact, it's really the, the idea of where our faith and confidence comes from is rooted in the same idea that the last song that, that our praise team led us in. And it's this idea that because Jesus loved us so much, that he shed his blood on the cross, died for us, and rose again, victorious over death, that we have hope, that we don't have to fear and, 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 and run around uh, without this sense of confidence and hope. So let's read the text, and then we'll jump in and look through this uh, kind of one, path, uh, one section at a time. 
Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God's word here, I believe, is certainly is being delivered to the church. It's being delivered to those people who already know and have a, a level of faith and trust in, in Jesus as their personal savior. Hebrews up to especially the first 10 chapters expounded on that idea in depth, looking back at the Old Testament scriptures and how Jesus fulfilled all of the, the necessary requirements for the, uh, the Messiah that was to come and for the, 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 the one who would be our substitute, who would be our high priest, who could usher us in before uh, the throne room of his father by his shed blood. And so Hebrews has laid that foundation up to this point. And so we come to this, and, and, and he begins really with a statement talking to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. The idea here, I think, can be, let me tie it in back to chapter 10, verse 19 and 22. Instead of trying to, those of you that haven't been with us, instead of trying to catch up on all of the, the text of Hebrews, is that the idea that the Lord has provided for our greatest needs, and he will provide for our continuing needs. He's provided for our eternal life. He's provided everything that we need to sustain us in the life that he has designed for us, that we walk in on this earth, and he has provided for our future through the resurrection of his son and through the planned return of his son, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 22 kind of sums this up in this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. The Lord wants us to, to have this sense that we don't have to be afraid of anything that's going on around us because we as his children can draw near to him trusting in him, walking in a relationship with him because he has already taken care of our greatest threat. Through his son Jesus, he has cleansed us of our sins. He has tore down that wall, that curtain that separates us from a relationship with him and he has opened the floodgate so that we can step directly into his holy presence and sense his presence and his help. Not only, but especially in times of trouble. And that's really what he gets to here in this text. Now, he's gonna give us some practical advice of how we walk through this. Now, the, the, the Hebrew church, they were dealing with trouble. They were dealing with threats from the outside. As, as he writes to the Hebrews, it, it, it's certainly to a church that was spread. It was Jews that had come to faith in Christ. But to those people, they, they were suffering in many ways. Some of them were imprisoned, as, as we see later in the text. Uh, 
And so he, he gives us some practical application. What is it that we can do when we're afraid? What is it that we can do when we feel threatened? What is it when we, that we can do when our world's kind of crashing down around us, uh, either because we're suffering uh, unfairly or, or we're suffering from something that we have no control over? There's five things here, I believe, that he teaches us that we can do. The first one is reside in brotherly love. Verse one there, the, the command is let brotherly love Continue. The command actually comes out of the word uh, that, that's a Greek word, minnow, which means to remain or reside or to stay. And so it's kind of a, a strange, a, a weird translation. It's just two words in that phrase. And essentially, he just says, brotherly love, stay. Let brotherly love continue. The command pushes itself out to us in this way as we translate it into English. Let brotherly love continue. Love your brothers and sisters. It's pretty simple. The first and most important thing that we can do when times get tough is love each other. And here he's speaking especially to the church. Take care of one another. Provide for one another. Watch over one another. Reside in brotherly love. Now, that assumes that you're, you've already been doing what you were supposed to do, that you've already been loving each other as a body of Christ. You know, and in some ways, the, the particular circumstances that we face right now make that a little bit more difficult. You know, there's an old saying that just simply says, out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes when we are away from and disconnected from our brothers and sisters in Christ, it causes us to grow estranged from one another. And so the encouragement here is to remain in brotherly love. How important is that encouragement today? Now, the good news is we live in an unprecedented time that I believe has had a good side and a bad side. We have what, what we call social media. We have, an, we have something that I didn't have growing up that my grandparents, parents certainly didn't have. I can instantly communicate with a friend in Vietnam. Instantly, by text message or by Facebook or, or by all kinds of social media. And so we have, now the, the issue that's created, I believe that that's caused fear and panic over this pandemic, among other things, to explode exponentially in a way that it would not have in the past. But it also has given us the opportunity to stay connected. We can love each other in a way that we haven't been able to in the past. We can connect with one another. We don't have to write a letter and wait for weeks for it to arrive on some foreign destination and then a, 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 something to return, a letter to return in response. We can communicate with one another instantaneously. That's a privilege that we can take advantage of during this difficult time so that we can remain in brotherly love, reside in brotherly love. Certainly, those that, that are struggling, those that are, that are outcast, those that are lonely. You know, it's a little bit different if you're locked in your house with your spouse or your spouse and your children than if, if you're a widow or a widower and you're stuck at home by yourself. So church, one of the things that we can do is make sure that we follow up in brotherly love with those who we know are home alone. We can call them. Hey, if, we're, if we get locked down in our houses and aren't allowed to go out, we can still call them. If they're on Facebook, if they have an iPhone, we can connect with them. The, 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 the urgency here, the urge for us is to remain in brotherly love. John 13, 35. 
Jesus said, beginning in verse 34, a new commandment I give you, it really wasn't that new, he says, but he says, You'll, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How are, how are we as a church gonna respond to the craziness going on in the world? We love each other first. Second thing he says here is don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That word to entertain strangers is often translated to show hospitality. Uh, what it means, and this was another, I don't do a lot of Greek words in, in my normal Sunday morning preaching, but th th there were a couple here that I thought were important. This one on, in verse two literally is a combination of two words, and it's the word brotherly love and the word foreigner. And so the command is that we show brotherly love to strangers. Wow, he's just told us to remain in brotherly love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how else ought we respond when things are tough, when we're going through difficult times, maybe when there's a threat? We respond by showing love, brotherly love, to strangers. Man, how, how important is that in the world that we live in today? People right now are, are, are filled with fear and anxiety, and how important is it for us just to simply, as we can, to show brotherly love to everyone? You know how the world's gonna know that we're his disciples? When we love God by loving them. Not just when we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but when we show the love of God by loving one another. Now, we're gonna talk about some very practical things, especially the way things are going on right now when we get a little bit further down in this text. But befriend the stranger. That's really what those two words mean. Become a friend to the stranger. Scripture says here that some people have unwittingly entertained angels. Look, I believe God's word is true. And I believe that there are times that, that God has sent his angelic messengers on this earth. And, and sometimes it's a test as we, uh, to see if we truly are going to do what he's told us to do to receive and to entertain even those who we don't know or maybe somebody who's different than us. Are we gonna love them and befriend them? The third command here comes in verse three. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Here uh, is, is this command to remember those who are hurting. Now, in this particular context, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews was most likely telling the church to remember those who had been imprisoned for their faith, who, who were being mistreated because of their, their love for God or because of something that they'd done for God. Certainly, I believe that this can be applied in a broader context, that, that we uh, show love and compassion on all who are hurting, not just those who are in prison for their hurting. In fact, he, he gives us a reminder. He said, just remember, you're in your body also. Well, why would he even say that? You're in your body also. Well, well it's kind of clear. Once I leave this body, I ain't gonna have to worry about suffering, right? Once I leave this body, I'm not gonna worry about being mistreated. Once I leave this body, I'm not gonna have to worry about being under attack of a virus or a cancer because once I, I take my last breath on this earth and my spirit leaves this body, I go to be with the Lord. That's over with. But this, as long as we're in this body, we're gonna suffer. We're gonna face challenges. We're gonna suffer from, from pain. We're gonna suffer from illness. We're gonna suffer from, from disease. We're gonna suffer from being mistreated by others. As long as we're in this body and we're living in this flesh, we're gonna go through rough times. That's just the bottom line. 
that's not news. That's been the case ever since Adam and Eve did their deal in the garden. They messed it up for all of us. And so since that point, we all suffer. So as long as we're in this, the apostle Paul even talked about how he struggled with, you know, he tried to, to not sin. And he says, you know, even when I try to do what's right, I, I don't do what's right. And, and, and you know, when I, I mean, this body's always battling against me, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he ends in Romans 8, 1 by saying, blessed be the name of Jesus. He's going to deliver me. See, our only hope is when we're delivered from this body by the power of Christ and his resurrection. That day's coming. But until that day, recognize that you're gonna suffer, you're gonna struggle, and you're gonna go through hard times. So remembering that, when you see someone who is struggling, someone who is suffering, someone who's going through a hard time, take care of them. Go out of your way to minister to them. Go out of your way to care for those who are hurting those who are mistreated, just as you know that you need when you're hurting and when you're mistreated. You know, my wife is great at taking care of me when I get sick. Now, you know, thankfully the Lord has blessed me. Uh, I, I have, I've been pretty healthy most of my life, but I'm not unlike a lot of guys. You know, my wife can be laid up with double pneumonia and she's still gotta wash, uh, you know, the dishes clean the floors, and cook the meals because I'm just not as good a nurse as she is. You know, when I'm down, I'm down. I'm out. I mean, when I get the sniffles, I need help. And she's always there to help me. The encouragement from this text is that when we see someone who's, who's hurting, just as we need care, we also care for others. You know, not too long ago, I wrote a, 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 a paper in my uh, ministry class uh, my, my PhD class about who pastors the pastor. Because sometimes that's just a question. The pastor's expected to be the shepherd. He's expected to be the leader. Well, what about when the shepherd needs a pastor? Who's gonna be there for him? And see, it's true of all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, what position you're in. Whether you're a caregiver at some, uh, in the hospital or whether you're a pastor or whether you're a counselor or whether you're a social worker, every single one of us at some point needs help. So when we're able, we need to be on that other side, giving help. Fourth, walk in purity. Well, this sounds a whole lot different. I mean, in the first three kind of make sense in light of what we were talking about. Reside in brotherly love, befriend a stranger, remember hurting. And now he gets to verse four and he says, marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers will judge. So he gives us a command here that when we go through difficulty and when we face struggles to walk in purity, especially in sexual purity. Why would that command fit in here? And I think it's pretty simple and it's pretty much just straight up human nature, honestly. We tend to have our greatest struggles with habitual sin when we go through greatest challenges. When we're alone, when we're afraid, when we're sick, when we're hurting, that's when we tend to give in to those areas of weaknesses. Now, certainly, it's not just those times that we give in to sexual immorality or sexual impurity. Uh, that's when people struggle most with alcoholism. It's when they're alone, when they're depressed, when they're down. That's when they'll turn back to uh, alcohol, even if they have been delivered from it in the past. Uh, I saw somebody uh, just yesterday post, I think I'm going back to smoking. Uh, 
Now, maybe they thought they'd rather die of cancer from the cigarette than they would the, the coronavirus. I don't know. But ultimately, it's that same kind of idea. We tend to give in to our weaknesses during those times of greatest stress and when we're going through difficulty. So the command here from Hebrews is also given to walk in purity. Now, it fleshes itself out. First of all, he, he just makes a statement, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. And so he, he leads us to, to make a commitment that we're gonna honor our marriages. We're gonna honor that marriage bed. And there's no question about what he's talking about there. Uh, Susan, I, I joke with her about this a lot. One of my favorite texts is Proverbs chapter five, verses seven and eight. You can go read it on your own. There may be kids watching this. Uh, it's God's word, but the, the, the command there is that for, for us to focus on and nurture and cherish our spouses to love them and take care for, care for our marriage so that when we go through difficult times, when the challenges come, that we don't give in to our weaknesses. And then in this idea of walking in purity, he expounds on that. He doesn't just address the issue of marriage because certainly there's folks who aren't married that need to stand tall and, and, and honor uh, God in their in sexual purity in their lives. And so he specifically addresses fornicators and adulterers. The word there, fornicators, is the Greek word uh, porno. And it simply has, it, it's a broad word. And it means any type of sexual impurity. Let, let, let me just kind of put all of this together in this way. God has given us means by which to walk in a, in a relationship with him, to care for our needs. The world offers all kinds of depraved alternatives. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to trust God, to trust his ways, and avoid the alternatives that the world would throw at us. We all know what adultery means. Adultery means you'd be cheating on your spouse male or female, that the word that's translated sexual immorality here or fornicators in, in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is a broader word that, that addresses all kinds of sexual immorality, including uh, homosexuality, including uh, uh, pornography, uh, including uh, premarital uh, sexual relationships. The picture that he gives us in his word is that if we're gonna trust God, we're gonna walk in a faith relationship with him, we eschew the world's alternatives. So walk in purity during the tough times. You know, sometimes it's, it's, that, it's then when we make excuses. Well, God, life's just so hard right now. I, I just need my drink. Lord, I'm just going through such a rough time. I just, I just need this to feel. No, you don't. What you need is to draw closer to God and to walk in that relationship with him. Fifth here, he commands us to be content with God's blessings. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. A little bit earlier, we looked at the... the Second and third point, the first and two commands, reside in brotherly love and befriend a stranger. And I told you that we were gonna get a little bit further down into the text into some particular ways that we can do that in our context. Let me give you particular way number one. Be content with what you have. 
The Lord taught the Israelites this when they came into the, the, uh, the desert and they were afraid that they weren't going to have enough to eat. And so the Lord said in Exodus chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, they will be twice as much as what was gathered on the other days. So God's promise was that he was going to provide for your needs every single day. And don't be worried, even on the day that he told us to rest, he was going to make sure that he provided enough on on the day before, on Friday for the Jews, that they didn't have to work on Saturday to gather the manna so that they would have enough. The caveat was that they needed to trust him to have enough for each day. We, We have seen the exact opposite of that in our culture over the last couple weeks. One example of that that uh, was really pretty entertaining is a young lady posted a a picture of her father doing toilet paper math. Now, I'm not going to use the words that he used, but I'll basically give the example. He basically had gone to a a big box store, and he had seen somebody walk out of there with four cases of 48 rolls of a particular brand of toilet paper. And so he did the math on that. He looked at how many sheets there were per roll for a family of four, and, and how many sheets that someone might need to use when they go to the restroom. In fact, he was very generous. He allowed for 20 sheets of, of toilet paper to be used at every time somebody went to the restroom. And a family of four that had gathered that much toilet paper would have to go to the restroom 182 times each every day to go through that toilet paper in a two-week period. Well, certainly, I thought he was generous with with 20 sheets of toilet paper. I think we can ration it down below that number. But good grief, this is a a respiratory virus, people. It makes no sense. But what's happened is we are driven so much by fear that we become irrational. And the bottom line is we have have determined, when we do stuff like that, we have determined that we are not gonna trust the Lord to take care of us. We're gonna do everything we can to grab all we want. And it's led to uh, an incredible amount of hoarding in our, in our world. Now ask yourself the question, is that how you show brotherly love? Is that how you show love to a stranger? Uh, absolutely not. That is the most selfish way for us to say, me, 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 it's about me. There was an article in the USA Today, USA Today on March the 15th. Many of you may have seen this. Around the 1st of March, when it became clear that the the coronavirus was going to be affecting our culture, there were two men, two brothers in Tennessee that decided they were going to go on a business venture. They went to every store in their community and collected all of the hand sanitizer that they could. Then, the next day, one of the brothers got in his uh, SUV and drove all throughout 
Tennessee and Kentucky drove 1,300 miles to all of the backwood stores, all of the, the Dollar Generals and the smaller stores in all of the small towns, gathered up all of the hand sanitizer and all the Purell that he could buy. While his brother was sitting at home selling what they had already from anywhere from $8 to $10 a bottle for a little bottle of Purell. They also uh, ordered off of Amazon as much uh, Lysol wipes and all of those kind of things that they could until they completely filled their garage with all of this stuff so that they could profiteer off of it. Not only were they not trusting God for what they needed, but they were so caught up in the love of money that they completely abandoned their love for their neighbors. And so you see here in verse five, be con- let yourself let your let your conduct be without covetousness be content with what you have so i believe that here we find in god's word this command that even when you're going through tough times trust the lord day by day i, I i'll be honest it's real easy to go walking through our cabinets and checking, are we gonna have enough canned goods for tomorrow? Are we gonna have enough toilet paper for tomorrow? And I'm not saying don't be prudent. <laughs> but in all honesty, the Lord's only promised us today anyway. So the question is whether or not we trust God for today. Has God provided enough for me to eat today? Has he provided enough for me to find shelter today? Can I trust God to take care of me one day at a time, while avoiding a heart of covetousness and falling in love with money. And then we come to verse five and six, the rest of verse five. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Now I wanna pause for just a moment and examine that idea of, of the Lord will not leave us nor forsake us. That is a promise that God has made to his children. Those who have, who have put their faith in Christ, the Lord has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said something similar. I've used this verse a couple times this week from at the end of his long teaching time in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, which took place in the upper room. And then as Jesus was making his way with his disciples out of the upper room, headed toward the garden of Gethsemane where he was gonna be arrested. He talked to them about the fact that they were gonna, they, they were gonna go through tough times, that they were gonna be, uh, that they were probably gonna be tortured, that some of them were gonna die for their faith as, as he spoke to these 11 disciples who were still with them. And as he comes to the end of that teaching, you come to John chapter 16, Verse 33, and, and Jesus says, I tell you these things so that you will have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. God's promise to us, to his children, to the church is that he will be with us and he will never, ever, ever forsake us. So I, I wanna explore two two avenues off of this. The first one is, do you have that relationship with God? 
Have you entered into a personal relationship with a, with a living God? Have you done what we talked about uh, back there from Hebrews chapter 10? You, you believe that Jesus died for you. You believe that he shed his blood on the cross and it's by his blood and a relationship with him that you can come into the, the, the throne room of God, that you can have a relationship with God. Because see, if, if you have not put your faith in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, there's still a wall of separation between you and God that's created by your sin. And because of that wall of separation, you do not and cannot experience the real presence of the living God. The only hope for you to enter into a relationship with the living God where he will not leave you and forsake you is when you, you believe what God's word says about Jesus. You believe that Jesus came, he died, he shed his blood for your sin, and he rose again. And you put your faith and trust in Christ for your eternal life. Once you come to that point, you enter into a relationship with God and he never, ever leaves or forsakes you. Well, what about if I leave and forsake him? What if I, I break one of these commands that he's given me here? He still doesn't leave me. He knows that I'm like a child and I'll make mistakes and I'll go down the wrong path sometimes. And, and yes, it damages my relationship with him, but I am never separated from him because he never leaves me. Once I am born again into to, to the family of God, I remain his child forever, for all of eternity. That's the promise of the New, New Testament. That's the promise of the new covenant that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have hope that he will never leave us or forsake us. So first, if you have never put your trust in Christ for your eternal life, I would, I would encourage you, do it today. I am not a fear monger. I really don't believe that the coronavirus is the worst thing that's ever hit our culture or hit our country. Uh, but even if it is, I know I'm gonna be okay because I put my trust in Christ. And, and if that virus takes my last breath, my first breath is gonna be in the presence of God. And so I'm not worried about it. But what about you? Do you know that if you were to take your last breath in the next few weeks because of this disease, this pandemic, that you take your first breath in the presence of God. If you don't know for sure, I'm pleading with you to make sure that you get that taken care of, that you find somebody who can point you to scripture and show you how you can become a child of God. Believers, this is for you. Are you trusting God during this pandemic? You know, honestly, one of the things I see out there is I see far too many people trying to put their trust in the government. The government's gonna do what the government's gonna do, all right? They're gonna do some really stupid things. You know why? Because the government's just like us. It's filled with some really stupid people. In fact, we, we voted them in place. That's why they're there. They may hand out $1,000 checks to everybody. You know what? Somebody that makes or needs three or $4,000 a month, that isn't gonna last very long. That may pay their rent for a month. And around Fort Worth, Dallas area, it won't. It's not even gonna pay your rent for a month. So, so the bottom line is this question, church, you, you say that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again so that you can have everlasting life and then he is with you and he walks with you. And you say that, but are you trusting Christ during this challenging time? Or are you wanting to put your trust in the government? Are you wanting to put your trust in Costco? Are you wanting to put your, your trust in how many rolls of toilet paper you can stack up in your, in your bathroom or how many uh, you know, loaves of bread you can put in your freezer? Ultimately, you're only promised one day at a time anyway. Do you trust God to take care of you today? See, we're asking all kinds of questions like, right now. We're asking questions like this. How long is this virus gonna last? 
How bad's the economy gonna get? Are we gonna be locked in our homes for a certain period of time like they already are in California or they are in New York State or Illinois? Right, what stores are gonna be closed? What stores are gonna be open? Am I gonna be able to go get my Bluebell ice cream when I run out? I mean, we got all kinds of questions that we're asking. The questions we ought to be asking is, do I believe the Lord will provide? I say that he's my provider. Do I really believe that God is gonna provide like he says he will in his word? Am I trusting God for today? Am I covered by the blood of Christ? Am I his child? So that even if tomorrow gets worse, I'm still gonna be okay. Those are the kind of questions we ought to be asking. See, the Lord is, is a whole lot bigger than this virus. He's bigger than any storm that we've ever seen. He's bigger than any war. He's bigger than the black plague. He's bigger than any pestilence. God is greater than anything that we could even imagine. We can trust him. As we trust him, we walk in a relationship with him. He's given us some practical things that we can do right here in this text, some practical things that we can do during this time of crisis. Love our brothers. Show hospitality to strangers. Care for those who are hurting. Go, go looking for them. Just, just like you'd want somebody to come looking out for you if you were in prison and, and were hurting. Walk in purity. Continue to trust him in your everyday life as you walk in purity. And then finally, be content with God's blessing. You know, in a lot of ways, this pandemic is a blessing. It has pushed us to examine things in our lives that we wouldn't have otherwise. It's pushed us to slow down. It's caused us to spend some more time in our homes. It's reminded us of some things that are really important in life. It's reminded us that, that doctors and nurses, EMS workers, truck drivers and grocery store stockers are probably more vital to our society than NBA, Major League Baseball players, and Hollywood elite actresses and actors. We can do without a whole lot of that entertainment, but it's reminded us of what's important. So one of the things that we can do is we can stop and be content where we are and thank God for the blessings of today and trust him. Now, I believe church, honestly, if many of us would just simply calm down and trust God through this crisis, a whole lot of what seems to be crisis out there would also calm down. When we turn on the news and we focus on all of, all of the, the bad, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? All it's gonna do is turn our attention away from the Lord, cause us to cease trusting him. So I'd encourage you today, put your full faith and trust in the God who created us, who's big enough to take care of this whole mess, who created the world and, and, and can stop the virus at his choosing when he's finished with his purposes. Trust a God who's big enough. Trust a God also who loves you enough. In fact, he loves you so much that he sent his son to die that you could have everlasting life so that you could walk in a relationship with him. And see, the bottom line is virus or no virus, for the most part, most of us only have about eight decades on this earth. And eternity is long. 
God created us to be eternal beings. God created us to have a relationship with him. And if we'll put our trust in him, because of the challenges of this short-term struggle, if it causes us to turn to him for eternal life, what an incredible, valuable thing has happened to us and in our culture. So I challenge you to put your full faith and trust in the midst of this time where it should have been always and where it ought to be when this thing's over, and that's in a God who's big enough and loves you enough to take care of you.